committed my life to preaching the gospel for the rest of my life. And uh, so where it's Good Friday, it's talking about what took place on Friday night. It's the center of the gospel, so what do I say tonight? You know, do I just give you all the download, exactly what it is? Well, you know, we just want to branch off into different areas, different corners um, of this gospel um, as it's taken place. And the corner that I want to branch off uh, to tonight is um, the trial. There was a trial that Jesus went through before he went to the cross. And uh, this trial was actually, it's not even one trial, it was, it was seven st- or six stages of the trial. There three of it was uh, with a religious court, and then three of it with, was with a Roman court, and they got it done really fast. You know, one of those rush trial services. Uh, within 24 hours, it was, it was, everything was done. I mean, completely done in regards to uh, Jesus' crucifixion. So on the three stages, you have Annas, the trial, walked up in front of him, Caiaphas, and then also you had the Sanhedrin. And then the three stages, we had Pilate, and then we had Herod, and then we also went back to Pilate because nobody really wanted to make the decision, so they were consistently going through those trials to figure out what they were doing to them, what they were going to do with them. But we want to really focus on um, the Sanhedrin, uh, that trial, and uh, to see what's going on um, within the trial before Jesus went to the cross. And it's Matthew 26, 57 through 68, is a passage I want to read, and then I want to work through it, and uh, we'll talk about it as we, as we look into it. Matthew 26, 57 says this, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard, to the high priest. He entered and sat down at the guards to see, to, guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is your testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us. Christ, who hit you? When we look at um, the message of the cross, it's really interesting on how people observed it and how people dealt with it. We look at Pilate and we see how he dealt with it. Uh, we look at Peter and we see how he dealt with it. We look at Mary, we see how he dealt with it, and we see his response, because you can learn so much of the responses of it, and uh, you look at everybody that's the reaction to the cross. I mean, this is God going to the cross, God dying for our sins, and you look at everybody's reaction, but this is the Sanhedrin's reaction. Now, what is the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was a Palestine court under the Roman rule, and they had 71 sages plus a high priest who served as the president. This was the court that was 
um, wanting to convict Jesus. This is the court that went after Jesus. The members came from chief priests, they came from scribes, they came from elders, and uh, they don't really have a record of how they were chosen, but they were chosen to, to be this court to uh, work the Moses' law, to make sure that the law was, was followed in the land. And is Moses' law good? Absolutely Moses' law good. Moses' law is from God. It's exactly good. So they were a court that was making sure that Moses' law was going to take place in the land. So here Jesus goes to trial. When he goes to trial, 24 laws were broken by the Sanhedrin. 24 different laws that, that they have in place, that is in regards to the law of Moses, were completely annihilated and completely broken. And I want to work with some of these laws so you can see the personality of what is going on behind the scene and the personality of what has taken place in these people's minds. Here's, here's a couple laws. There was to be no arrest by religious authorities that was affected by a bribe. You know, I go to Africa, and the, they used to have bribes everywhere. But the law has broken down. Nobody is going to bribe. There's going to be order, and we cannot have order in our country if there is a bribe. Well, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer for the Sanhedrin. They're not supposed to take bribes, but yet they took a bribe for Jesus, 40 pieces of silver, just to get the whole thing going. There were to be no steps of criminal proceedings after sunset, yet when they came to arrest Jesus, they had uh, torches. They came at night for a purpose at night, going to arrest him. Judges and the Sanhedrin members were not allowed to participate in the rest. What's interesting is every single gospel, well, actually twice in John and one in Luke, says this, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. So the Roman cohort, there's another passage, and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Officers of the Jews is brought up again. And then Luke 22 says, then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would go against a robber? Now think about this. Does the judge go arrest the criminal? <laughs> the judge doesn't go arrest a criminal. But here the Sanhedrin is involved in the rest. With what? With clubs. Saying this is serious business. This is a serious guy. We're going after him. And the judges are the ones that are driving it. And I mean, I can just almost picture it. Can I put the handcuffs on? You know, make sure you get him here. Yeah, make sure we get rid of him. Make sure we get all those disciples. Yeah, make sure they're all gone. Okay, we've got our man. The judges are working with the officers to get him completely entirely arrested. Remember, these are the guys they're supposed to love the law, but yet they're breaking the law that they love. There to be no secret trials, only public. But of course, they're going at night for a purpose to make sure that it's completely quiet. The Sanhedrin trials could only be conducted in the hall of the judgment of the temple camp, um, compound. Um, however, when they went at night, where did they take them? They took them to Caiaphas's house. Caiaphas's house. In the courtyard, Matthew 26, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And then this is where Jesus, or Peter denies Jesus by the little girl that is at the gate before he goes in. It's at Caiaphas' house. I mean, nobody goes to somebody's house to get, you know, the book thrown at him to get a death penalty sent to him. 
The procedure was the first, um, this is another law, the procedure was to be first the defense and then also the accusation. It's supposed to go like this, courts often say, do you have something to say before we throw the book at you? Because we have something to say and we want to give you a chance to say it, confess it, before we do it. But they didn't do that with Jesus. They just threw the book at him instantly. In fact, you look at our passages, accusation after accusation after accusation, as if they can't find anything, so they have to make something up as they're sitting there trying to throw the book at him. All may argue in favor of acquittal, but all may not argue in favor of conviction. Because if everybody is arguing in favor of conviction, then something is fishy. I mean, we could do acquittal. I mean, yeah, the guy is innocent, but if, 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 if there was a crime that was done and everybody in the room said, raise their hand and says, I'm a witness, because that's the only way you can argue, argue on conviction. We're all witnesses. In other words, every single one of us saw the crime. And therefore, since we saw the crime, we got to put him to death. You're not supposed to argue that way, yet that's exactly the way that they're arguing. There were to be two or three witnesses in their testimony had to agree in every bit of detail. And that does show the details of the law that was given by the Sanhedrin to make sure that there's a couple witnesses so you just don't put somebody who's innocent on the stand. There was to be no allowance for the accused to testify against himself. He has the right to representation. Jesus had the right to representation. They didn't give him any right to representation. Maybe that's why they took him in the night. Took him in the night, put him in the house, no representation, and it was just ugly as they consistently spoke to him. These are the words. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, you are not going to answer. What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ. These are aggressive terms, but every single word is illegal. It's completely and entirely illegal to demand under God that you testify when he doesn't even have a representative to support him. High priest was forbidden to, to tear his garments. Leviticus 21.10 says, absolutely do not tear your garments. If you look at Exodus and Leviticus, the high priest's garments are extremely important. They're worn by the high priest because the high priest is pure. The high priest is clean. The high priest goes into the Holy of Holies for the purpose of atoning sin for the nation. The high priest's garments are huge. And then what happened when Jesus said that he was the Christ? <laughs> the high priest did what? Took his garments and ripped them completely. This is a death sentence to the high priest, according to the law of Moses. Ripped them completely for the purpose of convincing everybody that Jesus should be dead and crucified. He didn't care about the law. He didn't care about the law at all. He wanted Jesus dead, and he used God's name for the purpose to get Jesus dead, to convince everybody, get everybody on board that Jesus is dead. But what's interesting about Caiaphas ripping his garments, what about the other 71 that are behind him? I mean, this is the time that you drag the high priest by the hair out to the streets and you stone him because he completely, he completely defiled the law of God. But yet all of them were behind him saying, yeah, we agree with you. Yeah, good job, high priest. Yeah, we're, we're, we agree with you as they're condemning Jesus. Charges cannot originate with judges. They can only investigate charges brought to them. A person cannot condemn on the basis of his own words. 
Voting, or, uh, voting for the death penalty had to be done by individual count, beginning with the youngest, so the young would not be influenced by the older. See, they've got laws and they've got structures that are in place to make sure that nothing happens with what happened to Jesus. These laws are there for the purpose of abiding by. A person condemned to death was, to be a score, uh, was not to be scourged or beaten at all, but yet 40 lashes took place. No trials are allowed on the eve of the Sabbath, the feast of the day. Remember, we're on the Passover. This is, this, is the, this is a big holiday. In fact, everybody's in town for the Passover. And what is the Sanhedrin doing? They're not celebrating the Passover. They're actually planning a murder. And they've put a lot of thought into it in this process. Law after law after law is broken. What's interesting about all these laws that consistently are shattered, are broken, is that there is a drive that is behind it. There is a drive that is behind it. Now, we know, we read the Bible, we know that, you know, Jesus was going to die and nothing was going to stop that. But there was still a drive in the Sanhedrin, in these Pharisees, in these Sadducees, that had the law of Moses and was pushing the law of Moses. There was something in them that was driving them to do what they're doing. What was it? What was in them that was driving what they're doing? We could say Satan, we can say evil, but I'd say Jesus was not the God that they wanted. Jesus wasn't the God that they wanted. Jesus stood there and literally convicted of, him, his, of their sin just with his life and his life alone. He was not a God that they can control. He was not a God that was... Um, a king that made them get exactly what they want, all their impure desires they want. He was a God that threatened their, their piggy bank. He was a God that they could not master. He was a God that lived a life that they don't want to live and obeyed laws that they don't want to obey, like love God and love others. Jesus was not the God that they wanted. And boy, it drove them to hate. Drove them to hate. And I mean, that's what takes place. It can take place to all of us. In fact, I look at the Sanhedrin and I start even thinking myself, am I taking God and am I moving God to make him the God that I want to do exactly what I want, where I want, when I want, and how I want? And if he doesn't, then I'm going to go find another God, this is what drove them to literally put Jesus on the cross. It was evil, and it was ugly, but often I can even see it in me. My challenge as we're going to the table this morning is to love Jesus for who he is. <laughs> you know, you look up in the back and you see a cross. He's making a statement, this is who I am. This is who I am. I died for the sins of the world. I have forgiven the lost. I am humble. I will lay down my life. I will sacrifice. I will pour out my life so others can live. We just don't need to love Jesus for who he is. Not create him into be something that we want him to be. Because if we create him to be something we want him to be, he will never measure up just like he didn't measure up with the Pharisees. Why? Because our hearts are evil. 
and the cross confronts it, aggressively confronts it. So the challenge again is just to love God for who he is. Love him for who he is. And when you see the cross, rejoice as in a sense that God is the one that left heaven, came to earth, died in your stead, rose again so you can follow him and carry your own cross on this world to make sure others find Jesus as well. Let's pray. God, we just thank you again for this cross. Empower us, God, to love you, God, for who you are and what you've done. God, I just pray that uh, the evil inside of us, God, will not work in a way that um, tries to move you to be what we want you to be. But help us to open up the word and love everything that you are, no matter what it says, no matter what it explains, that when we see you in the word, God, we respond to it with complete and entire love for our Savior, entire love for our King, entire love for our Lord. It is the first commandment, God, that you've given us. And I just pray that you would increase our love for you every single day of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.